0: You're listening to Who Run The World, a podcast about female leadership in the workplace. I'm Marilyn, your host, and in this episode, I talk to Leila Serhan. Public Sector Director for the Gulf region at Microsoft. Rhea and I got to visit Leila in her home in Dubai with her two beautiful daughters and her mother. I always tell Leila it's a house of women. And she shared with us her journey from her early days at the American University of Beirut to joining the Microsoft team to climbing the corporate ladder to where she is today. You'll get to hear about the challenges she faced and how her various experiences have shaped her outlook on life, women in the workplace, gender bias, stereotyping, and a lot more. During our conversations, we exchanged stories, laughter, and talked about the importance of speaking up. So without further ado,
1: here's my conversation with Leila. I grew up a little bit in many places, a little bit in Abu Dhabi, and then I went to France, did most of my school years between those two places.
0: What did your parents do?
1: So they're both medical doctors, by education, but my dad, he was not earning his living out of being a doctor. And my mom um, stopped practicing when she had four kids. And because we were living in France, so you didn't really have a, a support structure for raising four kids and being a doctor at the same time.
0: And so how did your dad actually earn his living?
1: He was an entrepreneur.
0: A doctor entrepreneur. Yeah,
1: he had a company that was doing catering for oil fields when he was in Abu Dhabi. But then he ventured into many other things, into the healthcare sector. So he was a lot in the services business. So he opened a Lebanese restaurant actually in south of France. That was an interesting part of our life because it was in, in Cannes. I got to see many, many, many celebrities at the restaurant when I was growing up. Wow, that must have been an interesting childhood then. I was lucky. I had a good childhood. I was uh, one of the lucky ones. I mean, if I compare to my friend from my generation who grew up in Lebanon, I mean, they had a very different life.
0: You didn't actually grow up in Lebanon, but at some point you decided to go back.
1: So when I graduated from school in 93, it was the end of the war. My dad insisted that I go back. I didn't want to because I didn't know the country anyway. But he insisted. He really wanted me to go back and reconnect with my roots and reconnect with the family because, again, I didn't know who my grandmother was. She never traveled outside of Lebanon.
0: So yeah, I remember you telling me that you'd only been back to Lebanon sometimes in the 80s. Is that? Yeah,
1: we went back in 89 because my mom's mom was very sick. It's always this thing that someone is sick in the family, so everybody goes to say kind of goodbye. So I went in 89, but um, it was bad because my mom is from Saida. So it took us, I think, four hours from Beirut to Saida. It was so bad. Wow. I counted the number of army checkpoints. I think it was an insane number, like 87 or something like this. So I didn't have a very good memory. So 93, my dad said, no, you go back. It was okay. I mean, yeah, of course, I... I fought back and no, and I don't want to. And but then I said, okay, let's let's uh, let's give it a try.
0: So you went back to college, essentially. Yeah. You went to AUB, right? Yeah. Where did you stay?
1: I stayed in AUB at the dorms
0: in the nineties.
1: Yes. What was that like? It was amazing. It was crowded. We were three per room. It was horrible. You guys should see Rea's face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were three in one room you would be lucky if the third one <laughs> drops out or leaves or so it was our prayers every oh. day obviously in Lebanon at that time AUB was like it was an amazing place the- because everything else outside the infrastructure was bad but AUB was the place where you had 24 hour electricity Yeah, and beautiful gardens and Comfortable, comfortable. But we had a curfew. I spent many nights on the bench (laughs) on campus. So on Saturday, it was 1 a.m. Literally, we would arrive at 1 five, So we would spend the night on on the the bench. bench. (laughs) (laughs) What did you study? Business. I wanted to do medicine. My father didn't encourage me at all.
0: I mean, honestly, this would be the first time that an Oriental father doesn't encourage their children to be a
1: doctor. He believed that it would have consumed me to be a doctor. He, he believed that I would be too engaged mm. with my patients. So this is why he said no. And then he said, you will be working too hard. And but we still work very hard. So Leila
0: went on to get a degree in finance at AUB. And I remember she told me she spent a lot of her weekends just driving up and down Lebanon. And it felt like she was reconnecting with her home. When it came time to decide what she was going to do after college, She ended up taking a job doing data entry at a Lebanese telecom company. At the time, in the mid-90s, Lebanon was going through a kind of telecom boom. I mean, I remember we went from having no cell phones to having cell phones, and my mom's first cell phone was pretty massive. Leila found herself at the center of it. If you can call sitting in a basement doing data entry for $350 a month, the center of it. But Leila did something quite ingenious that took her from the basement To the real center. Here's Leila.
1: Yeah, I was doing data entry eight hours a day. That was my first job. Very boring.
0: But then you did something really exciting.
1: Yes. So I was entering all of this data. We had to enter the data because of regulatory requirements. So we had to electronically store data about our client. And then I said, man, I have all of these spreadsheets of data and nobody's doing anything about it. So I decided to do some kind of demographics analysis. I crossed some data and very basic stuff. I mean, I can't say I'm a data scientist, but I didn't have the tools at the time. So I crossed the data, I created some reports and I went to the CFO and the strategy guy was sitting in her office and she said, yeah, what do you need? And I said, you know, I did some analysis on the data you gave me. I have a lot of data that I think people are not using in this company. And I think we need to use it maybe in marketing or something. So I was 22 years old at the time. And then she looked at me and she said, show me what you have. So I had printed it and binded it, all proud. She looked at it. And the strategy guy started asking me trick questions. And then they moved to financial questions. So if our leverage is that much, what do you think should be our next move? Do we need to reduce our debt? Do we need to do this, that? And I started answering and he was answering me back and entering a debate with me. And I was shaking all over. The weekend after, she calls me in, the CFO, and she says, "Okay, I'm going to give you a job, a full-time job, because my data entry job was an internship, kind of. So she gave me a full-time job. My salary doubled. I became a financial analyst. Wow. Which was uh, very exciting. A financial analyst, but it didn't have really a job description in the company. I mean, it was the first time someone is doing this and they didn't really know what I was going to do. So I was kind of inventing my job, which was fun. I enjoyed it. I learned a lot. It was a fast-paced environment. It was amazing because I think we were acquiring 10,000 new subscribers every week. Every week, every week, every week. We were releasing new services almost every two weeks but what is new services at the time like sms (laughs) yeah it was exciting
0: i want to go back to something that is really nice about your story of your first job is that you just did something when i started my first job i remember going back home to my mother and i was like mom i don't understand these people in my office they don't do anything and she's like what do you mean? I'm like, well, there's all this stuff that we could fix and improve and like do better. And the, no one bothers. She's like, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> My mother had been working her whole life in IT. And so she's like, listen to me. No one is going to be like you. No one is going to work as hard or just pick up the small things and fix them. Like, don't expect the human beings to be like that. And I I love that about your story as well. And oftentimes you just have to do something. It's not so impossible to figure it out. You just see a problem and you fix it.
1: So our office was basement parking. Yeah, data entry. I understand, yeah. Uh IT... This is always where there is no sunshine. Yeah, (laughs) there was like basement parking and there were people that were on the ground floor and the people that were on the first floor people who had actually a window in their office. I think maybe unconsciously or unconsciously, I can't really remember. That was it was a long time ago. I wanted someone to notice me and I didn't feel that I could go and just say, hey, I'm here. I'm a graduate student of... AUB. I was doing my MBA at the time at AUB and I'm doing my MBA and I'm so smart. I couldn't do this. I didn't feel I could do this, even though I think the other gender does it much more easy. Easy. (laughs) Yes, if you were a boy, you would have been like, hey, look at me. (laughs) Yes. So I felt I needed someone to notice me. I think this is why I did this. The other thing is I grew up a very, very, very curious girl. Even at work, If I am sitting in the CFO office, I would scan the desk. I would scan it. Every single thing that's there, I have to know about. And it's not knowing about because I want to go and gossip. No.
0: No, it's because you want information. I want to know. Yes. I
1: I need to know. I I need to know what's going on. I need to know what they're working on because obviously I was not exposed to everything the big guys were doing. So I need to know because I always thought that This is information that is going to be useful somehow. So I think this is why I did this. Please, I'm here. I'm here. Please, someone see me. Someone use my brain. Yes, exactly. Someone use my brain, please.
0: As you can probably tell by now, Leila's curiosity is out of this world. And she just has this crazy drive to just do stuff and get them done. And it pushed her to accomplish a lot at the telecom company, including helping it develop an SMS platform but also made it the second operator worldwide to launch a prepaid system. And she was part of that. It's this drive that got her her second job at Microsoft, where she's been working and
1: growing for the last 17 years. I asked Leila about her
0: first job
1: there. So when I got the Microsoft job 17 years ago, I started in finance and finance was very boring because I was not in finance in court. I was in finance in the field, which was accounting I was a bean counter so three months in I resigned I said I can't so I went to my boss at the time who's now a great friend I told him okay I hate the I hate my job I hate it I can't I know I'm working for the biggest greatest company in the world but I cannot do this job and he was looking at me and he said but I mean you're a finance person what else do you want to do I said I'll go work in finance Actually, work in finance. So I was looking at investment banking and things like that. I had an offer from boutique investment bank. So again, it was exciting because it was boutique and a startup. But then I get an email from someone who's like probably five levels above above me, (laughs) who met me once, and he was the area vice president, a Turkish guy. He was quite an impressive guy. He sends me an email and he says, "I heard you're leaving. I know." I only met you once, but I believe you would have done great things in this company. And I'm sure you'll do great wherever you go. This is my personal number. This is my personal email. Please do keep in touch. I felt that uh, the company was really caring about people. So I said, okay, I'm going to stay. Let me see where is this going to take me. Someone noticed you. (laughs) Someone noticed me and eventually I moved out of finance. Yes, you went into marketing yes and then everything changed in my life because then you're at the heart of things especially Um, in microsoft yes and this is where i think really my real career took off everything i did before was learning from others being mentored by great 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 leaders
0: so leila decided to stay at microsoft and that came with another decision that she was going to lay out the career path that she wanted laying brick after brick towards the jobs and the successes that she desired. This path consisted many jobs in Microsoft. She went from marketing to being the sales manager for small and medium businesses. She was the chief of staff for one of the GMs. She became the country manager for Lebanon, a particular job that she remembers fondly. And then general manager for North Africa, Levant and Pakistan. And then up until her current role, which is public sector director for the Gulf region. When she looks back on her career, she doesn't have any regrets. But going back, she did feel like she was limiting herself. We talked about this. And she mentioned particularly that she felt like she didn't speak up as often as she should have or as often as she wanted to. She tells us about this one particular story.
1: At one point, I was approached for a big, big job with a big, big, big guy. So the job required that I relocate to Paris, but the job required as well 95%. Of travel, Because the person I was going to work for is, covers the world and is constantly on a plane and could be in three different cities in 24 hours. And then I had to relocate to Paris because a lot of the work was done on the plane. Yasmina was five. Celia was two. In both ways, things didn't work out. From my side, I wanted to. But there were a lot of questions. I spoke to my husband. If this happens, how do we deal with the kids? We found a good solution on paper now. The execution always has something different. So my husband was supportive. And on the other side, I felt they were a little bit worried because of my family situation. But eventually things didn't work out. So later on, I was having a career discussion with someone. This person, he... I was telling him, you know, I seriously explored that opportunity and it's probably something I would want to do at one point in my career because it's it relates to strategy and it gives you global exposure and, and it gives you exposure to where decisions are made. So you sit on the table, on the big table. And he said, but really, did you really want to go live on your own? with your two girls in a small apartment in Paris and travel all the time. I didn't tell him anything at the time. I felt so insulted. I wish I told him at the time. What would you have said? You rerun those scenes, you know, and you imagine yourself standing up and saying something very smart. But rerunning them is no use. I mean, I would have told him probably, if I were a man... You would have never said this to me because you would have assumed that my wife is going to take care out. of the <laughs> yes. kids. And I read on it in my mind. And sometimes you have those moments where you're just dumb. <laughs> you're just dumb. You just dumb you did not say it, but I will say it. I mean, it's not for me, but for him. Someone else once told me as well, I was interviewing for the GM role and someone was interviewing me. And he said, um, so do you have a family At the time, Celia was three months old and Yasmina was three years old. And so I was just coming back from my maternity and everybody was like, are you sure you want to, like, you're coming back from maternity? You want to take a bigger job? Are you crazy? And then he said, but you know, um, your job is going to be very demanding. I said, yeah. He said, your kids are young. He said, yeah. He said, you know, remember, Leila, your kids need you. And then at that point I said, okay, I'm not going to get the job. And of course... I didn't tell him anything. I said, yeah, but you know, I think I have a good support structure and it's all figured out. I eventually got the job. People call it unconscious bias. I don't know if it's unconscious because he wouldn't say this to a man. Never. I mean, you had a story.
0: I have one, yeah, but But I stood up. I stood up because I spent a lot of time reading about this. Very early on, I think I read Lean In about five years ago. And I don't necessarily agree with everything that, that's in that book. But the book has a lot of statistics and a lot of data about gender bias. And I remember I wrote a letter to my boss at the time, thanking him, actually, for not treating me with a view on gender. I feel so dumb to have written that because, um, well, not the same boss, but same company. Five years down the line, I was told that I couldn't be a COO. Because I was too emotional. And I was lucky enough that I had trained for that moment. And I I said what everyone wants to say. I was so proud of myself. Yeah. I said, excuse me, <laughs> if I was a man, we would be talking about my qualifications, not my emotion. I even went as far as to say, if I was interviewing you for your job, and I was rating you on your ability to manage your emotions, you wouldn't get it.
1: Love it! <laughs> I was so
0: angry. I mean, even now talking about it, it makes me so yeah. upset. Because... What I also have to say is these were people that I loved. These were nice guys on the whole. It's not like this is the macho asshole that you expect this from. And so you're like, whatever. That's just who that person is. These were people that otherwise were really nice people. And they say this kind of stuff to you. And you're like, who are you? Why would you say something like that? Trust me, I was shaking when I said this to him. But I was so lucky that I got to stand up to that guy.
1: I don't like to talk about stereotypes, but it, it's the reality. It's images in people's mind she is like this and she cannot be different but I think the other thing is okay emotions are good you know that's what I said to him (laughs) I'm like emotions are what built your damn company Yeah. yeah and sometimes also people need to start understanding that this image that you have how do you turn it into a strength Instead of looking at it as something that is going to drag you down or, oh, my God, if I tell her anything, she's going to burst in tears. And these are real images that people have of women in the workplace. Oh, I cannot give her tough feedback because she
0: can't take it. She cannot take it. Do you know the Betty White's? Quote. Actually, it turns out she never said it, but I still love imagining that it's Betty White who said this. So it's something along the lines of when people want to tell you like to be stronger, they tell you to grow some balls. I don't understand why people tell them to grow balls because balls are weak and sensitive. Exactly. Right? <laughs> what we should tell them is to grow a vagina because those things can take a pounding. We have to bleed every month. I'm sorry. I mean, it's, it sounds ridiculous, but it creates resilience.
1: I have two girls. I look at them and I feel I have a responsibility towards them because I don't want them to feel that they cannot do it. And I work hard. I know I don't have the perfect balance. There's nothing called perfect balance anyway. And many times I'm not here and many times I'm late and many times I miss things. But I have a responsibility towards my girls to show them that as woman you can work with many men you can have a good living, you know, you don't need someone to provide, and you can do something. Celia, yesterday, so she's invited to a birthday tomorrow, and I tell her, so what do you want to buy for your friend? She's four, and her friend is turning four, and she said, I don't know, mom, you think I get her a princess, because girls are about princess, No. Celia's funny because last year, Christmas time. So what do you want for Christmas? I want a race car. No, but seriously, what do you want for Christmas? She said, I want a race car with a remote control. I only want a race car with a remote control. You're not listening to me, mom. (laughs) So we got her a race car. So I'm happy I'm not building those stereotypes and images in their minds. I think if every single mom does this to her son and to her daughter it would be a big change.
0: My mom got divorced when I was really young, when I was Mm -hmm. three or four. so she raised us on her own. And she spent, I think, my entire childhood telling me, you are not getting married until you get your first job and you buy your first car. And she kept repeating it to me. And so, obviously, I turned out to be the person that I am. But I hear you. I mean, my mother really made sure to give me those messages. And she's super feminine. Like, you can be a princess and want a race car. Like, those two things are not one against the other. But she taught me to be independent and to never rely on anyone and to provide for myself. And I'm super proud of that. Like many of the strong women I've met, the incredible thing about Layla is that not only is she strong, driven, smart, energetic, it's that she doesn't even seem to notice that she is. I think she's starting to be though. You just heard two stories in which Leila did not speak up for herself or clap back against unconscious bias. But this also translated into her not negotiating her salary and not always getting the jobs that she wanted. I asked her about that during our conversation. I don't know, you described five, six, seven jobs inside Microsoft. Mm -hmm. You told me something the other day that I want you to share with whoever's listening, about the fact that you'd never negotiated a salary? Oh, yeah. Hmm? Never.
1: Except my first. That was the only time.
0: What happened?
1: Because you're the boss. Like, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. Even I know that in some positions, I was in a position of strength and I could have negotiated the hell out of anyone. But I did not. I don't know if it's, the, if it's the emotions of the moment, but I think I need to do a better job about first taking the time to actually evaluate where am I in that relationship? Am I up? Do I have the power? What kind of power do I have? And I didn't do that. So that's first learning. It's after the fact that I realized, but man, I had so much power. So I have a best work friend. I shared with him, That, okay, so finally I'm going to do this. And he said, yeah, did you negotiate? And I said, no. And he said, are you stupid? He said, do you realize in what position of power you were at that particular point in time? He told me, you're crazy. Why? I started telling him, but what do you mean I was in a position of power? And then he started listing it. So I didn't do that.
0: But you promised me you're going to do it next time. Yes.
1: I'm probably going to do it uh, soon. Good. I feel good. Nervous, of course. Nervous because it's a... It's a first. I mean, it's a first in 17 years. But I negotiated 17 years ago. I negotiated my notice period. I negotiated my salary. I negotiated my vacation days. A few people had to call in to negotiate with me. I got what I wanted, but they wanted me. Again, probably it's also... What if they say no? You know? Then you...
0: Just go back to what you would have exactly. said yes to anyways. Nothing to lose. But also they know that they're going to be on their toes. Of course. Because next time you're not going to take no for an answer.
1: Yeah. You, don't, you don't say no twice. No. Because if you say no twice. Then you're telling me you don't want me here. Exactly. Exactly. So I think there's also this fear of if they say no, does it mean that they don't like me? that they don't want me, that I'm not doing a good job.
0: Two things on that. I took a negotiation class at INSEAD. And our first homework after the class was to get, within a week, to get to seven no's. Not yeses, no's. He just wanted us to, like, be cool with the no. Because once you get over that, the only place you can go in a negotiation is up. I mean, for this job, I negotiated for seven weeks. Here's what you do before you go to that negotiation and take the risk of getting a no. You consciously, for the next few days... Write down every time someone gives you positive feedback. You just create this little safety space for yourself so Mm. that if you do get a no, for whatever reason, you go back to that little booklet and you read the 10 things that remind you that you are worth it. As you'll hear in the episode that we recorded about my life. Rhea the crazy ex-co-worker who convinced me to say all these things that I've been saying in private to her in public. I also invited her to come and voice her own opinions on this. And uh, she was very keen on uh, not being behind the mic, but I convinced her to come on board and raise her voice. So I just wanted to introduce her to you guys. Rhea, founder of Raisin Media. Hi. She's my producer for this show, really good friend, ex-co-worker... And she just can't get enough of me. Well, (laughs) (laughs) let
2: me negotiate that.
0: (laughs) Leila was one of the first people I met for this podcast. And I remember calling you, Rhea,
2: and saying like,
0: Rhea, remember Leila, Mrs. Hotshot Microsoft? Guess what? She's never negotiated a salary. Because I met her and and we, you know, spoke over coffee. And she was just such a boss. And then when I heard that, I just, I couldn't believe it. So we did a bit of digging women tend to avoid negotiating their salaries and they're more likely to accept whatever is offered to them compared to men so let's discuss that
2: and there's so many studies on this but
0: first let's study you have you ever negotiated your salary
2: no i didn't and actually it's one of my biggest regrets never never
0: i didn't have to negotiate salaries a lot because i just went from my first job to my next job like i've only had two jobs but halfway through my first job I, i read lean in and like lean in you can love it or hate it. We're not going to discuss that now. But at least it has a lot of data. And there was all this data about how women don't negotiate, how they don't apply for jobs that they you know, feel underqualified for versus men, whatever. And that just like ticked me off. And so I made it a point that I would always negotiate something, even if it's just for the exercise. So
2: I've had like two jobs and both jobs I haven't negotiated, but also as a freelancer, I find it very difficult to negotiate and I find it even more difficult to place a price tag on what I'm giving and then if someone claps back at what I'm telling them I'm like oh okay what's what's best for you or I've become accommodating when it comes to that. Is it because you're Lebanese or is it because you're Roman? Well the combination of the two is like yeah (sighs) it's
0: explosive it's like menthol and diet coke.
2: The data shows that it's a gendered behavior. And I actually found this professor, her name is Linda Babcock, and she's basically done a lot, a lot, a lot of research on this. She even wrote a book called Women Don't Ask. And I found one of her studies online. The findings are pretty astounding. Within one of the experiments they they did, I think I told you this, there was this lab experiment where they brought in men and women and they told them, we need you to play this game for the study that we're doing. And at the end of it, we're going to give you between three and ten dollars. They all said okay and they did the game. And at the end, they handed everyone $3. Most women said, Thank you, goodbye. And the men started arguing and saying, No, you said between three and 10. I want 10. I deserve 10. I did the experiment. Give me 10. I found that pretty shocking.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, we've been talking about like the gender pay gap since I was a teenager. Like, I remember it was a thing in the 90s. And I just think it's good to deconstruct it. Like, there's always this idea that the bosses, will value women less and therefore will offer them a smaller salary or whatever. And that may, may very well be true. But at the same time, like women just are so ashamed to ask that it's just insane, right? You know, Leila said this. She said, I was afraid to be told no. So one thing is that there's this need for validation of our contribution and that this validation is very much outwardly as you just said about your freelancer thing like we don't know how to do it independently but i have it as a mental note don't be the woman that reinforces that statistic i mean here the same the same professor that you were talking about right you sent me this as well so they looked at starting salaries of mba students i mean this these are brilliant people right and they just all came out of the same degree like technically there is absolutely no reason for differentiation in their salaries. But again, they found that it was more than 75 higher on average than female MBAs. And you might say like, oh, seven and a half percent big deal. And then think about it through time. Like if you start $4,000 higher, where do you end up in 20 years? Like that gap just gets bigger and bigger and bigger the higher up the food chain you are. Looking at the stats is great, but why don't women ask? So there's a few theories on this. One is that women are always told not to ask for more right? Yeah. like They're socialized
2: um, to look out for others and not for themselves. Yes,
0: like supposedly that we are more caring and therefore we are better at sort of lining up with the collective good and caring for others rather than demanding for ourselves. That's one. So it's kind of a social message that we receive and I think that it's true across cultures. But the other really crazy thing is that once you've gotten through all of this and you're like, okay, I'm gonna negotiate, what happens is that on average, women are punished for negotiating. So when women negotiate, the reaction is not to say, oh, good, she's strong, she knows her worth. Yes, she's right to negotiate. They're perceived, and again, with those words as pushy or bitchy, and they're punished on the long run if they do try to negotiate. That's the
2: part that like blows my mind. The first reason that you gave this, us being socialized to look out for the needs of others that's like completely unconscious that means we need to work on our daughters and the next generation to tell them yes it's great to take care of others but you also need to take care of yourself and you need to ask for what you want you need to speak up you know, where we're from,
0: we're pretty good at doing that with the boys.
2: Yeah. we like, you
0: are responsible, you have to take care of your family, and therefore there's like some kind of acceptable justification for why they demand more. And we never say that to our daughters. I mean, my mother said that to me, but that's why I'm a bit of an outlier, right? I don't know if your mom ever said that to you.
2: My mom, I remember for a keyword when I didn't negotiate, and she's like, so... Like, what salary did you ask? I was like, I just told them my old salary. You told She told me, you told them exactly what you made. <laughs> and I said, yes. And she's like, ya Dumbass. <laughs> Dumbass. Like, what are you talking about? Ask for more. My dad actually also is very pushy for us demanding like what we deserve. Yeah. But
0: we're lucky in that way. Yeah, I don't we're think very a lot lucky. of yeah, yeah. Um,
2: our friends growing up had that.
0: And so I think, yeah, I mean, I'm totally in line with you. I always say this. I say this shift isn't going to be like monogenerational. This is. Unfortunately, something that's been going on for centuries and it's not going to change in decades. But I really think that it's so important to say those things to, sure, our sons too. Don't you, don't you, gender people start like yelling at me for this. But to our daughters, you have the right to ask, you're worth more than you think, you know, force people to value you make allies like all these things that like oh no they're dirty corporate politics fuck that make allies like go and find people who will sponsor you find people who if someone says look this crazy woman she just asked for this will be like well kind of think she deserves it
2: also if more of us did it it would be normalized so it wouldn't be like how dare she ask for more
0: absolutely but i guess the message is this like don't be afraid to value yourself you are worth much more than you think now let's get back to
2: Layla's story
1: you're super active in supporting other women yes Can you tell me about that? I love doing that. You know, first, it was very cliche. And, oh, look, she has an interesting job title and she's a woman. (laughs)
0: Let's stick her face on the poster. Yes, exactly.
1: (laughs) It used to bother me. You know, it's like, no, I didn't get there because I'm a woman. I got there because I am who I am and blah, blah. But eventually you realize that, you know, people need role models. And if you can play that role, why not? And you don't need to be someone who did one million thing or is a rocket scientist can be very simple things that you do every day. So I started enjoying it because I felt people needed role models. And I also like the way that women movement evolved. I think we went from a place where we were nagging and complaining and talking a lot about stereotypes to a place where it's much more scientific, there's much more research today around those real issues. So the discussion is a little bit more elevated, I think, today. I enjoy doing it. I was in Lebanon two weeks ago. I'm going in a few days for another conference. I speak, I moderate panels. I love doing it. I think if I stop working, probably I'll be dedicated to doing this. There's another thing that uh, I also really like that we're doing is the Women Angel Fund. So we invest in women startups. So this year we partnered with the men. The thing is, it makes the pot bigger. And they agreed that 50% of the startup in which we will invest are going to be women-led startups. So now we got the men to look at those women-led startups.
0: I'm going to botch this number, but I think something like companies that are managed by women are more
1: than 20% more profitable. Startups that are led by women are more successful to... On average than the men. Than the one led by men. So if we're investing our money, I Mm -hmm. think we're investing our money in the right place, I hope.
0: It's Yasmina Arcelia's first day at work. They're getting dressed and they're going to head out to go for their first
1: first Uh, day at the office. They're going to be very nervous. What would you say to to them? I think I'm going to tell them, be yourself. It's something that has always worked for me. So I'm going to tell them, be yourself do your best
0: that's really good advice actually I don't think there's anything more to it which leads us to our last question of the show what is a feminist and are you a feminist
1: what is a feminist I'm not gonna pretend I have a definition for a feminist well you know it depends where you are actually now that I think about it because I think we still need feminists in certain places like my country we still need feminists that are going to fight for women's rights
0: Actually, Rhea looked at me because I have a very similar answer to you. I say you can't be the same feminist in every place. And in countries like mine, where the law is sexist, you have to be an angry feminist.
1: In this conference I was in three weeks ago, it's funny because there were some people, politicians, were talking about achievements that they've done around, I don't know which law that uh, prohibits... Young marriage, the rape law. But then someone, an amazing lady, she stood up and she said, you know what, okay, all of this, good. Yeah, but nobody talked about inheritance. Nobody talked about child custody. And these are real issues where women, because of religion, don't have the same rights as men. And nobody wants to touch those issues. So, yes, I am a feminist. I want to fight for women's rights, but I also want to make sure that I, in whatever capacity I'm in, I give other women the space to realize what they want to realize.
0: So there you have it, my conversation with Leila Serhan. She's a real inspiration for me. Such a strong, wonderful woman, mother, boss. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed talking to her. It was such a special day being in Leila's home with her two daughters and her mother, who are all, by the way, just as fierce as she is. Stay tuned for our next episode. In the meantime, this was Who Run The World, hosted by yours truly and produced by Rhea of Raisin Media. Please subscribe to Who Run The World on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to learn more or read our crazy blog posts, please visit our website, whoruntheworldpodcast.com, or our Facebook page, whoruntheworldpodcast. You can follow me on Instagram at Permanent Hunger. You can follow Rhea at Raisin. I
2: don't follow her, by the way. Which I think is really unfair. Post good content. I post content. Good, I said good. Because I went on like a little dry spell and I didn't post anything, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't follow me. I don't think it's fair. Okay, if 200 of said Who said you posted good content? I post great content, first of all. I still follow you as a friend to support you.
0: Look, if you get 200 followers in the month after, you know, we post this, I'll follow you. Guys, if you want me to follow... (laughs) (laughs) hundred. Yeah, 200 more. Challenge fucking accepted. Challenge accepted.
2: Because I always get weird... people who want to like no i shouldn't say that but like (laughs) people i don't know who want to follow me are you a private account yes i'm about to make it i'm
0: sorry you can't be like fucking podcast i'm about to make it pubs
2: after this
0: good i mean this is mad first of all make it pubs and then if you get 200 extras
2: you heard it right here folks
0: challenge on